Uh, good afternoon, and thank you, everybody, for joining us for another episode of the Jane Irrigation Training Series. I'm Richard Restucia, uh, Vice President of Water Management Solutions for Jane, and uh, we're going to talk about what I think is a really complex subject today, uh, focused specifically on irrigation, and that is how you sell a commercial irrigation system. And I say it's complex because there's a lot of people usually involved in this, uh, members of your own team, uh, dealing with uh, the, the, who's ever making the purchase, as well as you might be dealing with somebody from the manufacturer side too, because uh, sometimes those manufacturing uh, representatives or the salespeople from the manufacturers can be really good assets for you and, uh, and really help you make that sale. So uh, today, helping us learn how to uh, sell a commercial irrigation system is uh, Stacy Sternot and Michael Derwenko, couple of people that I had the pleasure of working together with at Valleycrest. So we, uh, we sold a lot of commercial irrigation systems together and uh, we've got two of the best. Now, uh, Stacy today is the executive operations manager for Landscapes USA. And uh, boy, uh, if I want to say there's one landscape company that's really coming on strong right now, it's definitely Landscapes USA. Uh, the thing that I really appreciate about Stacy is a couple of things. One, she really is good with her crews and customers. She's got that operational side to it where she knows plants, she knows water management. She really brings the, uh, the full game to uh, the landscape industry. So we're always happy to have Stacy on as a guest. Um, she's, uh, thanks Stacy for, uh, for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Richard. Thank you. Yeah, you bet. And the other thing I, I did want to mention about Stacy is she's not afraid to give back to her community. You know, she's been uh, nine years on the board of directors of the uh, San Diego chapter of uh, California Landscape uh, uh, Contractors Association. That's a lot of time and a lot mm -hmm. of uh, uh, donations. So uh, thanks for that, Stacy. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Yeah. And so uh, Michael Derwenko, who you've also seen on here, I'm sure is joining us as well. Uh, Michael uh, has worked as a contractor, uh, as a sole proprietor. He's worked for contractors and uh, he's done an excellent job and really understanding all the technicalities behind irrigation. So it is really uh, can be quite complicated, especially on some of these larger commercial jobs. I know that uh, I've used Michael as a resource many times and uh, know that he's got the knowledge to contribute to what my challenges are or my issues. And, uh, and more importantly, he really cares about water conservation and doing a good job. So Michael, thank you for uh, joining us uh, this afternoon. Thank you, yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, so Stacy, one of the things I just wanted to start with is uh, why, uh, so I think, I think selling commercial irrigation is, is tough for a lot of people. I think if you're getting maybe 10 to 15% of your total revenue off of a good sized commercial job from irrigation, that's really a good number, but uh, when I look at a lot of commercial irrigation jobs, I see a lot of work to do. I see a lot of contractors missing opportunity to, uh, to make upgrades uh, and to make uh, basic repairs or bring people up uh, to what is a modern irrigation system. So what's slowing it down? What's causing this issue? I, I think it's, you know, just first recognizing the opportunity, right? I mean, as a contractor, we have to make sure that we get out to the jobs, walk the properties, have the conversations with the clients and know what to identify. You know, there's 
there's kind of a big gap in the knowledge in the industry as far as, you know, calling ourselves irrigation managers or, you know, not being able to provide that service. So having the knowledge and the training to first identify those opportunities is the big first step. And then having that conversation with your client, whoever that is, and having the trust that you can move forward with a decision, a large project, sometimes a, a larger investment, um, that's that's the big opportunity that gets missed there. So um, being involved in, in training and having the knowledge of what to exactly recognize, I mean, it happens the same way of plant material replacements, you know, um, what worked 10, 15, 20 years ago for landscape architects doesn't necessarily work today, and especially because of the drought situation that we're in. So it's plant material and irrigation of having that knowledge and opportunity to identify first. Yeah, those are really good points. And uh, I just want to remind everybody today that uh, while we're having the presentation, we'll have the Q&A in the chat open. And if you have questions uh, of these uh, very solid resources here, please put them in the chat, put them in the Q&A, and uh, I'll make sure we, uh, we get to them when we can. So with that, uh, let's go ahead and kick it off, guys. <clears throat> Wonderful. Uh, thank you, Stacy. So Stacy and I, uh, Richard, you know, we, we've worked together on, um, you know, a lot of projects uh, from the manufacturing side, from the Brightview Valley Crest side. Uh, I obviously come from more of an irrigation background. Stacy knows a lot about irrigation, but would probably argue that you're way better on the botany side. So um, botanical side, is that the way to say it? Yeah, horticultural, sure. Plants, right? right. <laughs> yeah, you know way more about plants than I do. And so, um, you know, the, I think it's the, the combination. There's there's some uh, cohesion of knowledge where, you know, maybe I can help water something uh, that she knows more about the plant and the opposite is true. So when, when we come across to different sites, uh, we initially get on the sites. Uh, she may be looking more at plants and uh, the horticulture side where I'm looking at the technical side of the irrigation. Um, and then we'll meet up and then I'll review, you know, maybe any information she already has about the site or what uh, questions that I would want asked of the, uh, the site itself, of the, the group that represents the site. Um, and so what we've done or I've done to open the deck up today was put a typical illustration of a commercial system. This is, this is from point of connection um, out to the emission device itself. Uh, these are different options. And then this is how, this is the general breakdown of a system. If I had seen this illustration when I was 15 years old, I would, I would have probably got off to a way better start learning things. Um, but because it's all below ground, you don't, or most of it's below ground, you don't see it. So it takes years to figure out kind of how the water is being routed around a property. And um, by hopefully this illustration has simplified it. And I'm sure, Stacy, at this point, you kind of have this in your head when you walk on a site, how a site breaks down um, at, a, at a subterrain level. But that's, you know, that's, I think, something we take, a, we take for granted when it comes to a lot of uh, people in our industry, much less our customer. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's something sight unseen, right? We don't see it. We don't think about it. Even walking a typical landscape walk you know, it's, we don't look up either. So trees aren't always looked at and thought about right away, but it all corresponds. So, you know, I, I think we talked last time, I'm, I don't have, I originally didn't have that irrigation knowledge coming from school and getting my horticulture degree in Milwaukee. So learning that we only had irrigation in large estates, golf courses. So 
over the last 22 years of being out here in California, it's something that you have to learn and you have to literally dig into to get the knowledge for that. So if it's out of sight, it's out of mind. And so being able to make the effort and really look at the, the issues that are at hand on, the, on any particular property, it all correlates, right? So as we're talking, as we see plants that are stressed out, have diseases, have pests, it's probably because of something irrigation and or soil and air related. So that's the first thing we look at and are able to teamwork on and going, okay, what is the correlation here and what's the solution? Yeah, you always have the hot topic stuff that sits above the ground, which we know coming from the industry that it usually leads or is the is from problems that are in the ground. Um, and I think uh, it, it, could, it could create um, some frustration because it's really hard to explain something to a customer when you can't just showcase it or point to the right. problem. Unless and, there's uh, a large leak, unless main line's leaking or you know there's overspray everywhere, it's harder to be able to point that out. So that's the other part about selling the irrigation or any sort of, you know, retrofitting in the first place is why why should we invest on something that we can't see exactly and so yeah so these are some of the challenges and uh, uh so like i said the illustration hopefully spotlights a few uh it makes it as, as simple as it could possibly be water in water out um and so i know when i walk on a site i'm looking uh for these different devices um the report that i file or uh, go back to meet with Stacy on if she's not there these are things that i'm going to review so we know exactly where we can make uh uh, upsell potential flow flow sensors, smart controllers, streaming rotor nozzles, things like this. If you don't know the base components of your system, it's very difficult uh, to come to your customer with with you know the knowledge you need to sell these opportunities. Yeah, great points. I also say you make a great point too. Um, uh, you're expected to know people, know how to hire, know how to manage. You're uh, required to know about horticulture, fertilizers, soil, seeds, and irrigation. Uh, so uh, it's, a, it's a pretty daunting uh, task, a pretty daunting job that you have, and, uh, and you do a great job with it, of course. And uh, it's, it's, um, it's smart of you, I think, to you know, bring in experts at times. Right. We're not all experts in everything that we do. We all have our specialties, right? So that's another reason why we have the relationships with vendors, just as our clients do with us, and so that we can able to have the trust and bring someone in um, when we need assistance. So. Yeah, some of the most expensive components and labor-intensive things are below the ground, and uh, that's a tough one. Not to mention, but the knowledge is so regional. I'm sure you know uh, dealing with the pl plants and the plant palette you dealt with from where you're where you're from in the Midwest to California. Um, I'm back here in Florida after my stint in California, where everybody puts valves, uh, you know, together, and in Florida we just tend to separate them all over the place. Um, we have a lot of lightning here, so we've got to worry about surge protection and grounding up upgrades. Uh, if someone puts a smart controller on the wall, you're essentially putting a computer on the wall, so you better make sure that grounding is accounted for. Um, I don't remember in California putting many grounding plates in on pedestals. Um, so there's also that regional knowledge um, that comes with it. And I mean, we're fortunate that we, we cover a lot of the country, uh, but as I meet with uh, growers and uh, different landscapers across the country, it's, it's, there's a lot of ins and outs. Um, and so after you've after you've identified all the components of a system, um, I think the next step is really uh, in your head or with your team internally uh, trying to focus on uh, potential opportunities. There's a reason the previous uh, contractor is no longer there. Uh, of course, sometimes it can be priced, but you want to bring some opportunity and value 
to your your new customer, your existing customer at all times. And to do that, you've got to look for the right opportunities and irrigation is an easy one. Um, a lot of times when the grass is green or the bushes look green, uh, the HOA automatically assumes that there's nothing better that can be done except to cut water um, and water the existing landscape as little as possible. That's the only kind of uh, innovation you can have on the site. Well, we, we definitely know that that's not true. And you guys have always done a good job or uh, working with you, you're always looking for places to potentially take out turf and add some, some color to a site. Um, anytime you have big trees with root intrusion, you know, you've known to build, build up and uh, add some soil base to it. All these little things can be upsells. Uh, what in your, when you walk on a site or maybe when you have a customer for the first six months, without trying to propose to them a lot of upgrades that they probably were proposed from the prior company that just rejected so you don't sound like a broken record. How do you know, like when you meet with the customer, do you just ask them, is there, has, did the prior company, you know, uh, ask for any of these things? Like, so you understand the redundancy I'm talking about? Right, yeah, it's, it's usually part of the bid process too. Um, number one is finding out what those hot points are. And of course, lately, a lot of them are irrigation, you know? So whether it be because they're seeing leaks or overspray, whether it's because it's an older system or their bill is high, that's always a big, um, you know, conscious topic of any HOA, especially, and commercial sites is looking at the irrigation. You know, there's parking lots, there's paint, there's tenant intrusion. Um, insurance, if there's floods and that kind of thing in commercial buildings. So that's typically is the topic, um, you know, amongst other various reasons why they might be interested in changing landscapers. But again, irrigation is usually one of the first. So when starting and doing an audit on that property, we of course look for any major, um, you know, leakages, breaks, something that is maybe potential for higher water bill than usual. And then looking at those potential um, opportunities for retrofitting, right? So if you are getting overspray, looking at you know the MP rotators or high efficiency nozzles, looking at areas that can be converted to drip. And um, like you said earlier, pulling out turf and replacing that with more colorful, low maintenance, drought tolerant per se, um, just you know less water, less maintenance. Because again, we're looking at not just um, you know, removing the, the cost of a water bill, but, you know, boards and managements and ownerships are always conscious of the overall bill that they're looking at, right? So even if that service, even if it lowers the amount of service that we're on a job site because we don't have to mow or don't have to constantly detail flowers or whatever that is, um, that's something that's helpful for the client and, um, you know, can help move that respect and trust and relationship that, you know, this is what their opportunity is. This is what they're looking for. So the first thing is looking, obviously, any major leaks. And then secondly, would be looking at those potential um, retrofit opportunities. Um, there's definitely um, kind of a step to it. And you have smart controller upgrades on there. Um, a lot of it sometimes is the controllers just don't work. There's 20, 30 year old equipment on the site. Sometimes you run into areas with brass heads and maybe not controllers. There's always a lot of battery operated valves controllers on job sites. So figuring out what we can do to make sure everything is run efficiently um, with the smart controllers as well. Those are kind of the, the top issues. Um, and then again, having that conversation once we've done that audit and formulated the overall site inspection and what really is the opportunity there, having that discussion with the client. 
So while a lot of the decisions um, for the retrofits, and obviously that's a topic at hand is irrigation. Do you remember it always being like that, um, you know, 15, 20 years ago? Where, did they lead with that? Because uh, no. I don't remember ever planting palms and then someone being concerned, well, is this palm going to be on the low end of water use or the high end of water <laughs> use? Is that something like some progression? Yeah, definitely. I mean, 20 years ago, just myself coming into it here in San Diego, the biggest thing was the more palms. I think we talked about this last time too. It's the overall plant palette, right? San Diego's plant palette has changed dramatically in the last 20 years from Phoenix Robolini, Jasmine, Rafts, and Birds of Paradise. And now we have some of the more native plants, some drought tolerant plants, sages, and, and that kind of thing. So Every, the, the plant palette just like fashion has changed and it's not just because it's what's fashionable and what looks good, but it's because it is more sustainable. So usage, yeah. that's been, that's been the biggest thing. I think even, you know, eight, 12 years ago is really when it started. We talked about how, you know, we can start doing um, retrofitting and um, you get some rebates for it. And again, that involvement with even specifically here locally, San Diego County Water Authority and a lot of other, you know, the Metropolitan Water District throughout the whole state of California. It's just a conscientious effort to say, look, we're short on water and here's what we need to do. So everybody's really come together as, you know, opening opportunity. What are some of the incentives that we can get contractors to do? And so, you know, as a contractor, we're looking at that as well, not just for our clients, but in order to be sustainable and, and make sure that we're doing our part. So being aware of the rebates that are available and passing those on to the clients are a big thing. And everybody's conscious of it now, especially here in California from what from you know what I see, obviously. Yeah. So I want to ask yeah. Stacy, uh, the jobs you look at, the commercial jobs you look at, what percentage could benefit from some irrigation upgrades? Pretty much everything we look at, it's just about hundred percent of them, unless it's already been. Um, you know, just retrofitted, or if it's a brand new install, we do a lot of new builds for HOAs that have just been installed. Obviously, there's new regulations that home builders have to adhere to. So there's things like being plumbed up and ready to go for reclaimed water once reclaimed water is available. Um, other things like having two wire uh, controllers and that type of thing. Anything, um, again, smart controllers, right? So, um, and then making sure the installing contractor is putting that in per plan. So anything as far as a new build, that's all being utilized right now. And it's just a part of the overall plan to help save water and make sure we're doing things right here. Yeah, I totally agree with you on that. I mean, the opportunity here is huge. And uh, I think a lot of it is due to uh, many of the systems are older as well as uh, not uh, not been upgraded to the new technology. And there's so many good ways to save. So um, Lots yeah, of opportunity. Thank, thank, yeah, thank you. So once we've identified the issues, you know, I the general consensus there was you you get the you want to get the site back up to just a working working manner where everything turns on when it's supposed to, at least all the wires, you know, your common wire is good. Uh, you don't have any leaky valves, you know, um, the next step up would be check valves and pressure regulation, anything you can do to, you know, just to squander every drop. But um, as you mentioned, the plant palette maybe is, if not gotten smaller, it's changed. So the people that are live here in our customer base here um, or in San Diego, uh, you know, maybe they don't want the plant palette to change. And so what do you tell the customers from a residential to an HOA level? Like, you know, you've lived here 60 years, 
Um, we know that Birds of Paradise 15 years ago could be planted here, uh, but now they can't. Now you have this new pile to choose from. How do you break that news to them and then tell them that we got to redo your irrigation to water drought tolerant stuff properly? Um, can that be a hard sell? Um, you know, it's all about creating the partnership, right? There's a property that we're working on together right now where most of the community is retired and they're all from the Midwest or somewhere else that's not California, right? So, I mean, I know I like to see the grass and the deciduous trees and something lush. Um, and that's something a lot of people expect when they either retire or move here to California is just a different plant palette than they're used to. So not only trying to maybe not change the existing plant palette or having something that requires more water, that's not something we can't do. It's just to be smart about it, right? Still make it sustainable. So we understand you like your turf. We understand you like, you know, it's great to have large trees. I'm a huge proponent of that. Adds to the value too, and not just, you know, everything else that it contributes to, to our planet, but um, we have to be smart about it. So if we have plant material that requires more water, let's water it smartly and not just throw a lot of water on it or, um, you know, water it every single day because we think that takes X amount of water. So, um, you know, if, if it's going to be a plant palette such as turf, this great example that requires every day almost watering, especially during the summer, then we need to water it smartly. Make sure there's no overspray make sure that there's no, you mentioned check valves, right? So if it's on sloping and that once the valve is shut down, that water doesn't continue to run. Um, all of that contributes to smart watering. And we understand this is the plant palette that you want, or maybe it's because it goes along with the community or the style of the building. Um, but that's something that we work with to make sure that we're still putting it on efficiently. Yeah, and I think you led with a great point there. I mean, that's kind of the, the whole idea of the, the, this deck and this presentation is that, um, you know, sometimes bridging that subject of having to get rid of somebody's favorite plants in the area because of water needs, you know, you form that bond with them because you bet in the middle, there's big compromise there. Uh, and that does make some of the more technical stuff a little bit easier to, uh, to upsell. I'm sure you lead with, hey, we can make your annuals look better before you lead with, hey, there's three valves that could use a pressure regulator. So, um, you know, I, <laughs> right. I think that that's a great bridge to the relationships, like you said, and that's why you kind of wait maybe a few months when you bring a new site on to, to remind them that they need, uh, you know, new antennas on their smart controllers or something like that. <laughs> you focus on uh, some more of the beauty objects. Yeah, what are the expectations of the client, right? What are they looking for? Just because I like a native plant palette doesn't mean I'm going to go sell it everywhere. Just because I have certain favorite plants, I'm not going to go and put that, that in at every community. Um, it's something that we have the conversation with and we say, okay, what are, what are your expectations? What are your desires? What do you want to see here? And we make that work. Um, you mentioned earlier the annual color. Um, we were just talking about that today. You know, a lot of properties are going away from that. I mean, when I was here 20 some years ago, almost every single property had their monument sign with tons of lush annual color that was changed out quarterly. There's only, you know, one or two accounts that we have right now that actually do that and they have moved on to something a little different. It's the look that they like. I'm not going to change that. I think it looks beautiful, but how do we water it efficiently? So um, making sure that it's getting the correct irrigation. Um, is it tied in with turf? I mean, there's, there's one area that we have that, hey, look, 
you know, it's the annual color is tied in with the turf. Great. It needs just as much water, but guess what? There's also some shrubs that don't like all of the water and need to be separated. So that's still a discussion of it's great. We'll have your annual color, but it needs to be taken care of correctly. Interesting. And uh, I did have one question. We're going to move on, uh, Richard, to spotlight a few different projects that we've worked on. But I did have one question because every time it rains here, I see the cypress and the pine bark just running down the road. Um, and I remember when I was younger, we would lay down the mulch and then wash it, wash away like that day. <laughs> In California, um, what's the, when do you, do you pitch rock over mulch? I know it's a pretty easy question. Like, is it a weight thing, uh, a price thing? It's, it's really interesting. Again, there. it's, yeah, it's having that conversation with the client. I mean, some of them, that's the look, right? So there's a lot of the new properties, new commercial that are very modern, have the very, um, you know, kind of stark and stealth uh, landscape and rock lends itself well to the different kinds of look because of the textures and colors that are available. Um, mulch there is too, but I think we talked about this a little last time as far as the plant health, right? So that's the first thing to look at. It's just aesthetics. Um. If I can say it. And yeah. um, also, you know, what, how does that help the plant material? So mulch decomposes and helps the plant material as it does that and adds organic matter to the soil. Rock doesn't do that, but it's also a cost thing. Rock, you know, in any sort of hardscape material costs a little bit more to install, but you don't have to refresh it a couple times a year. So that's something that's really up to the client, what they want to do based on their budget and the aesthetics. And then we go from there, you know, and again, if you're watering where mulch is flooding away, you look at the irrigation first and then look at the scenario of, you know, maybe it's on a slope and we don't put anything there. We jute it, we plant ground cover instead. So it's it's all the opportunity of the actual site location, budget, and the way they want it to look. Yeah, I never thought about the uh, the, the trapping of the moisture in the, the root base from a mulch level to a rock level. I guess it, they would both each have their own uh, you know, uh, assets, but right, keep that. weeds out, all of that kind of thing. It's uh, either one is better than nothing, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, so, Richard, if you didn't have anything else, I'm going to move into. Uh, we're going to spotlight a couple of different projects. Yeah, I'd love to hear about the projects. Okay, um, so Stacy, starting off, this was a uh, this was one in San Diego. Um, I, you could maybe be more specific if you want to about the location of it, but maybe you want to go through, you know, what the starting point was. Uh, when you first started working on to where it ended up and maybe how long this lasted uh, and some of the resources uh, as far as labor, like time and stuff that it took the guys to get everything installed and converted over to something a little more water conscious. Sure, yeah. Um, this is a property we've had for a while, but, um, you know, based again on, on client desires and and budget on everybody and planning out. So something that we do is say, okay, this is a desire, this is a wish list, and let's help you plan it out for your budget for the next upcoming years. So we have this in plan to do, and this we did, I think this was actually the first day uh, COVID hit and we were, it was a ghost when we started the demo here. Um, so where you see the planting um, and that third picture over with the magnolia and the dirt and nestling in the drip line, that all of the planter was full of red apple. Aptinia cordifolia is ground cover, um, pretty popular here in California over the last few years. It had um, 
because it requires so much water, just as much water and uh, fertilizer as turf to keep it green and, and flowering, um, it's something that ended up developing a huge um, pythium rot and fungal infection throughout the entire county of San Diego. So as you would drive through San Diego, you could see just hosts of it wiped out, you know, big melted areas. So not only that, but again, it takes a lot of water. So this entire front, they like to keep their turf, right? So that was one thing that we looked at and converted to MP nozzles. And then the second part of that plan was removing all of the red apple throughout the property, which was all of the front parking lot, and then all of the front planters that bordered the turf straight up. There's a very long pathway from the parking lot straight to the building lobby. So that was removal of that. We cut out all the heads. There was a lot of very large rotors in these planters. And we installed all of the Jane valves and drip line. And then um, obviously there's magnolias there that everything was lined with. We installed those on separate valves so that the magnolias could have separate watering with the drip line tree rings and then um, installed some of the colorful low maintenance drought tolerant plant material. Um, so that bottom last photo um, of the Calilophus and the Leonotus and Cucrea, that was all that was installed. Um, and that was an example of utilizing rock. There was a small um, three quarter inch gravel that was installed um, for the color. It's, it's a little fun part. It's like, you know, picking paint choices, <laughs> bring in the box of all the different types of gravels and rocks to the client and they can help choose colors and textures. Um, but that is what we installed that. So that took about three weeks total. Um, again, there was a lot of work just removing the initial irrigation, some of those large rotors and capping off the laterals there and then running the drip. So we had our irrigation running um, basically behind our planting team, which was separate um, from our maintenance, and they would just line the drip and kind of go back there. We used uh, the stock tubing and put in emitters based on the special water requirements of each plant. So those were stuck into the stock tubing, which has zero holes until we make it with uh, one particular emitter. So there's no spaghetti lines, nothing like that, um, that can be trimmed, cut off, uh, lost, blown off, anything like that. So um, that was kind of the basic overall idea of that project there. Yeah, water right where you need it. Um, when you walked this property, when you were done with this project, um, I assume they know that irrigation was a line item for this, uh, this renovation. Yep. Um, how do you review that with the customer? Do they immediately say, I don't feel like I got my money's worth because I can't see any water? Or um, do you just wait until the water cycles up and then you show them a bill that has reduced the water? Yeah, they've reviewed the bills. They see a significant, um, just in the first two months, they saw a significant reduction. Um, this is in like the La Jolla UTC area. So it does get cloud cover, it does get warm. Um, but if you overwater, you have a lot of rotors, things can get moldy and just uh, root soaked. So um, this was a great opportunity to show that we can really cut back the water, especially from something having those, those large uh, spin rotors that just didn't need to be there anymore. So like you said, water right where we need it on each plant and it's thriving. Um, the people that are there and finally back in the building again now, a lot of them come in and out from Japan and they just can't believe the change. So they're, they're very happy with this. 
It's a beautiful property. And one thing I really appreciate is you kept the whole sustainability picture in mind, especially with the way you did the drip irrigation. You know, you made the maintenance easier, not harder. And uh, overall saves everybody a lot of time and money. I, I love that. Yeah. And, you know, the tree rings, uh, we've talked about this a million times. They're typically overlooked when you're doing these renovations. If you have established or existing trees there, um, you know, do, do not, they are now going to be reliant on a new water source. And uh, it's very easy to zone off with, with, you know, drip line or any kind of micro irrigation, uh, your trees to make sure that they get ample water, given that you've now put smaller plants in that don't need as much water. Uh, the last thing you want to do is go to all this trouble and then six months down the road, have your big established, you know, canopy trees starting to die off because, you know, they're deprived of water. Um, that's the last thing you want as far as relationship goes with the customer. Right. That's a great point. I mean, it really, I've seen it as the drought, um, as gosh, probably three, four years ago, really hit home with a lot of clients and, and company entities. Um, you know, the biggest thing was cut off islands, change drip. And again, having that knowledge and the training to do it correctly, it was so sad to drive around the county and see huge trees just go. Uh, lots of pines, lots of grand magnolias, sycamores, even sycamores are drought tolerant to a point, but they have established roots and just huge trees. Again, those are investments for your property. It adds value to whether it be your home or your commercial building. And so just seeing that length of time and some gorgeous canopy trees, I mean, it just, it has to be irrigated. So again, just because you have a request from a client to do something specific doesn't mean you have to do it. It's about educating and giving the reasons why or why not, and then coming up with a, a mutually acceptable you know, solution to that. A compromise, yeah. How many times have we seen trees that have been watered because of overwatered areas. That's my right. favorite, where trees exist in turf areas and they're like, well, we, we for 30 years, we've overwatered this turf area with rotors because we know if we overwater, the trees will get the water they need. Um, and so they become reliant on so much water and then you just deprive them of that and run the lines right around the bottom of them. Right, yeah. Trees don't have grass in them in the forest. They each need have their own water needs. So. Yeah. Exactly. And so, um, yeah, so that was Tanabi. That was a, that was a great one. Um, I really like the palette in that. I like the use of rock. Uh, this was another one. This is um, an AO Reed location. Um, not completely familiar with the type of business it is. I see the mix of rock and mulch here as well. Um, some sparing plant placement, but this was a while ago. So I imagine plants like these, these grow in and fill out pretty well uh, to hide the majority of the ground cover and the irrigation. Is that how that works? Right, exactly. So A.O. Reed is a large uh, engineering contractor here in San Diego. In fact, they're vendor partners with us for commercial properties and um, mostly commercial properties, but some HOAs. And um, so they asked, again, to come in and basically do the same thing. There was a lot of older plant material, just, you know, patchiness. Again, 30-year-old landscape where there was rotors, pop-ups, and just a plant palette that needed to be refreshed. 
um, the owner in particular saw, you know, some areas around town that have been converted and really liked the look of adding rock and then again, colorful plant material and something that would be lower water use. So that's essentially what we did working within their budget and um, again, picking plant material that can grow in, fill in, but still give a lot of color and pop. Um, it's not, you know, it's, they own the building. Um, it's all of the employees that are there every day. They don't have too many um, customers coming there, but it's on a busy corner. And so they want it to look nice and they redid the outside of the building really cool. And so they wanted it all to match. And um, so we worked with the ownership to make sure there was some plants incorporated that they liked, have the rock and kind of the dry riverbed look per se, and then um, put in a lot of drought tolerant material. Um, there's the large melaleucas you see there in some of the photos and some other protocarpus that they wanted to keep. Um, it kept shade and privacy on that side of the building where there's offices and windows that get a lot of heat. So that was the reason for keeping those trees. And again, tree rings there on all of those and then running the drip line to each plant. Again, when you have large swaths of rock for a, a dry riverbed or something like that in a design, it's so much easier to use that um, quality tubing and um, just put in the emitters where you need. So, you know, in typical let's say other competitor lines, right? If you have 12 and you guys obviously make lines that have 12 inch spacing, but that's typically in you know a different kind of use where you have very tight planting. This is perfect for um, planting spaces where your, you know, your spacing of plant material is more than six feet or whatever it may be, even if it's three feet, if it's anything more than 12 inches, you're wasting water. And Michael, you always say, you know, you're watering space to put weeds and that's exactly what happens. Um, if you have plant material planted, let's say six to 12 feet apart, and you have your emitter line having holes watering every 12 inches, well, you're going to get weeds in between. It's just the way that is. And it's even harder to put down pre-emergent if you have drip line and you have rock and mulch covering with that drip. So putting in the right irrigation is, is the best thing to do in that case. What was what was in this area before um, the drought tolerant stuff went in? Pretty much a hodgepodge of everything too. They had a lot of red apple again as well. They had a lot of hedrohelix, which is English ivy, um, vinca ground cover, and just uh, old pittosporums. Was it overhead irrigation or was there existing an, an overhead uh, pop-up spray irrigation? There were some rotors. There's a very large slope on the other side corner of the building and there were a lot of rotors on that one as well and we drip lined the whole thing. Hmm, interesting. And, you know, uh, we talked, I put this on the slide earlier, the age of a system um, is pretty crucial to, that, that's one of the first things I like to ask a customer or a contractor. Um, you know, it really puts it in perspective. Oh, well, it was installed 35 years ago. Okay, well, you know, you've had multiple renovations done to it. We're going to continue to renovate off of it. But, you know, the bones of it were not designed the way that you want to, that they need to be designed, given, you know, a company like this that redoes their building. So they know that these things have changed since day one. Um, you know, as irrigation techs, we're, we have to kind of conform to, the, to those bones uh, and make them work to the best of our knowledge. And I think, you know, you try to get that across to the customer and explain, look, we, we're doing the best we can with pipe that was laid here 35 years ago. Um, and, you know, and you're, you're, we allowed you to change your palate, upgrade everything, and then reduce the water, uh, all with the existing bones by just laying stuff on top of the ground below the ground cover. 
sometimes I see huge swaths of areas, like I think on the next site we're gonna talk about here, um, going down the side of a, a highway that were previously just had sprays every four feet. And then now um, off of the existing infrastructure, we're able to add a meter line and reduce so much water usage. Um, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've replaced a valve that's 40 years old uh, and we're still at the mercy of those existing bones. Right, and that's a great point. I mean, it, the first thing, obviously, before any planting, you see that happen a lot, um, is irrigation, right? I, I mean, I'm not gonna put in new plant material without looking at the irrigation first and that making sure that it works correctly. Whether it's five years old or 30 years old, I mean, it's just making sure that we are giving it the, the best success plan for the new landscape and, and their investment. So that's the first thing and looking at the smart controllers first and then how we get that water actually to the plant material. And like you said, with Renaissance, um, this was not only the slope renovation that we did, but along the parkway strips there that you see along a very busy, very high profile street um, and kind of sloping as well. And uh, trust me, the uh, San Diego County Water Authority drives up and down this street quite often. And so this is also reclaimed as well. You can see that tubing there, although it's brown, it does have the purple striping to mark that it's reclaimed water, recycled water. And so um, we need to make sure that there's never any overspray. That's part of managing the reclaimed water. So. Um, this was an even better opportunity to just lay straight lines of drip and make sure that the water was running efficiently. We already have the ET, the Jane ET controllers there for smart controllers. That was the first step, which is great. Um, next is flow sensors for that. Um, but we definitely wanted to remove all of the large uh, PGP rotors and the pop-up oversprays that we had. Uh, in both the slope and the parkway respectively. So that was a way to minimize all of that, especially for reclaim. And, and that's another challenge that most customers, you know, uh, the, the reclaim system in San Diego did not always exist. Um, the same thing is true here in the, in the Southeast, reclaims everywhere now, but it wasn't always like that. So if you're an HOA member, you lived in a property manager where you've lived somewhere, been around somewhere for 30 years and all of a sudden they're converting to reclaim. Now you have to keep water off of hard surfaces. Um, you know, those are, those are that's, that's an expense that, you know, maybe you didn't take into account, the budgets didn't take into account. And so I think being, you know, straight up with the customer, I know you guys have had this customer for a long time. Have they always been reclaimed the 20 years you've had them? I can't imagine they've always had reclaimed water there. No, they haven't initially, not when it was built, but it was transferred over probably about um, less than 15 years ago, 10, 12 years ago. Um, so obviously everything there is purple um, marks, um, but again, you know, we do a cross-connection test annually there at the Master Association and all the sub-associations, and um, we need to make sure there's no overspray and the irrigation is tight there. So um, it's just another thing that's managed. Um, it's also something that we have to manage with the plant material. Plants don't like that salty water, <laughs> yeah. um, especially here in San Diego when you have the really hard packed clay. Um, and, you know, there's already too much phosphorus in the soil. It just becomes an issue for a lot of plant material. So not only do we need to make sure that we're irrigating it correctly, but we're proposing the right kind of plant material that can survive that. And then how do we irrigate it as well? So on the slope, we, we didn't do the drip on the slope. We converted to MP rotors instead. 
Um, but we just because of the huge, huge scale that it was, I mean, this is almost a mile and a half long and by a couple hundred feet uh, wide from top to bottom. Um, so there we use the MP rotors, but again, we need to, it's a huge um, runoff uh, potentiality. So with some of the native plants like the Ceanothus and the Catoniaster pernii that we have there, um, we needed to make sure and something that we're still adjusting is, you know, any runoff from the top to bottom, that's something that needs to be taken into consideration and that the native plants don't like water. They don't like fertilizer. They don't like water. They don't like our clay soils in, you know, a developed HOA like this. So it's a little management of that. Um, these pictures were taken, obviously, when we installed a, a few months ago. So um, the parkways are pretty much almost completely full with Carissa now. That's Carissa green carpet that's there. And I mean, it couldn't have been a more perfect scenario for that parkway strip there. It just, it filled in, it looked nice. Um, all of the Carissa are starting to cover up any mulch and drip line. And it, it's a spiky plant for everybody to have the litter and you know people to lay in. So um, yeah. it's interesting, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it doesn't get tampered with. There's again, lots of cars, lots of walkers, dog walkers, lots of kids. And so those sprinklers don't get run over, kicked over, or tampered with anymore. Um, it's right right across the street, there is a huge canyon and there's unfortunately a very large homeless community there. And so they would come, even though it's reclaimed water, try to turn on those valves, try to run the water, take water from the pop-up sprinklers. So the drip is super ideal here for, for that situation too. Yeah. Again, that always wastes water. And I think there was, you know, the components, you had to replace the valves because now you have drip line where there was heads to so pressure regulation. Uh, the quality of water has definitely changed since the reclaimed aspect came in. So now you got to put scrubber, dirty water valves in there. Um, your MP rotators on the slope, they're on slopes and they were previously in the ground. Now they're probably on stakes, so you need check valves. Um, all these little components add up. And I mean, this is a, you definitely want to make sure you're in a good spot with your customer when you not only upsell them on some some pretty plants, but the infrastructure that needs to exist behind that that new that new plant palette. And uh, I think these are three solid success stories. Um, you know that I'm sure if anybody out there needs further questions about, they could reach out to you on because there's a this is just we've just scratched the surface on some of the complexities that came out in these sites that I think a lot of people deal with. Yeah, we have one yeah. question coming in right now for Stacy, and uh, somebody's asking, uh, what percentage of the HOAs that you deal with actually accrue uh, revenue for irrigation upgrades? Is this something that they typically do, or do they just think, hey, it was in and it's going to be in forever? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a conversation that you need to have, right? It's having the relationship. I mean, most HOAs have to do, um, you know, an evaluation of the property every year and make sure that they are putting enough money into reserves for various projects. So as a landscape contractor, you just need to speak up and say, this is what's needed. Um, you know, I was going to say earlier, it's, you know, I'm, there's probably contractors on here that are maybe our competitors, but as far as a proponent of the industry and making sure things that are done right overall, I can't speak enough on making sure that you have the knowledge to do what you're doing. And if you don't have that knowledge, reach out for training, especially, um, you know, having Jane and ET Water as a resource, that's something that we bring in. Um, if, you know, they, especially contract, um, they don't always have that immediate trust, right? Or even if, you know, in an HOA boards change and opinions change, trust changes. 
So the biggest thing is, you know, here's manufacturers, even if it's three different manufacturers of a smart controller, bring all of them in and let them do their work and say, here's what we think is best. Here's who we work with, because that moves on and continues that relationship. But if you don't have that experience, I mean, I can't tell you how much work we've taken on saying, well, why should we spend $30,000 on changing our smart controllers or changing our irrigation system when we just spent that three years ago? And that is because it might not have been done correctly. We see smart controllers that aren't being utilized, never had a subscription or put on manual, um, you know, drip emitter. There's nothing more <laughs> hate seeing than, you know, the little octobubblers and spaghetti everywhere around hedges when landscapers come in and cut them with, you know, hedge trimmers. Um, so it's having the knowledge to do it right. And if you don't know, bring in, you know, people like Jane um, that can help um, not only just consult, but keep through the end of the install, check on it if there's questions. We did a walk recently where we converted all of the smart controllers and Janie T was there with us helping, you know, making sure that everybody was comfortable with it showing, you know, all the new features that we can do. So it's just having that knowledge. I mean, it's just do it right, you know, and have the knowledge to do that. I am a huge proponent in knowledge and making sure that everybody's learning and training. So it's something that we can all do together as an industry to make sure that we're doing things correctly. Hey, we money for it. It's great to change it over, but we need to um, really start enlisting the trust of everybody around us. So yeah, it's uh, great words of wisdom. Thank you very much for that, right? And and I liked what you said about competitors too, but you know, there's really enough work to go around for everybody, right? Right, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> we know. So, so much that we need to change, so yeah. we can do it together. Yeah, so Michael, Stacy, what a great job you guys did today. Thank you so much. I really learned a lot. I know our viewers did too. It was really uh, very interesting. I love that you put your contact information up here as well. So uh, people can reach out to you anytime they want. And you'll, you'll give them some help, right? If they need it. Absolutely. Yeah, well, it's great to hear. Thank you to our viewers for tuning in today. We really appreciate that. Remember, you can watch all our trainings at uh, jamesusa.com forward slash trainings. And we're also wherever you listen to your favorite uh, podcasts. I love that people are driving job to job and listening and educating themselves while they're working or when they're running or walking. I, I just love that. Uh, so anyway, thank you again to you guys. Thanks everybody for watching. Have a great weekend and we'll see you next week. Okay.